1976, Caitlyn Jenner broke the world decathlon record at the Olympic Games in Montreal and earned the title of world's greatest athlete. 40 years later, she captured the world's attention again when she revealed that she is a transgender woman during an ABC News special with Diane Sawyer. Two months after this groundbreaking interview, she debuted her new name and look on the July cover of Vanity Fair, a cover which has become one of the most iconic of the last 50 years. Since revealing her true self, Caitlin executive produced I Am Kate, the landmark series on E! documenting her post-transition life, partnering with MAC Cosmetics to donate over $1.3 million to transgender initiatives, and became the face of the H&M For Every Victory sportswear campaign. Caitlin was named Barbara Walters' Most Fascinating Person of the Year in 2015, runner-up for the 2015 Person of the Year, Out Magazine's 2015 Newsmaker of the Year, and one of Glamour Magazine's Women of the Year. She was honored with the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage at the 2015 ESPY Awards for her transition from Olympic athlete to transgender activist. But then, on the other hand, I'm thinking in the back of my head, little Caitlin's thinking in the back of your head, wait a second, you just built up a character that's so big and so masculine, and that's not you. Um, and that was the next struggle for you know, the next, you know, almost 40 years. In April of 2017, Caitlin shared her story in her memoir, The Secrets of My Life, co-authored by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Buzz Bissinger. During an Ivy Ideas Night in Los Angeles, Ivy's Sarah Zapp sat down with Caitlin to discuss her incredible journey about life post-transition. Please enjoy our conversation with Caitlin Jenner. You're listening to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. For more information about the Ivy community and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us at membership at ivy.com. Attaining quality sleep is key to a healthy lifestyle and vital in achieving success. Plenty of research has shown the indisputable benefits of getting a good night's rest. InstaSleep is a drug-free, quick-melt sleep aid that is gluten-free, kosher, and non-habit-forming. They taste great and help you fall asleep faster without morning grogginess. An indispensable travel essential for busy professionals, frequent travelers, and jet-setters alike InstaSleep helps counter jet lag and sleep deprivation caused by time zone changes. Ivy Podcast listeners get 18% off by using promo code IVSLEEP at checkout on Amazon. Learn more on their website, www.upgradeyoursleep.com. Upgrade your sleep with InstaSleep Mint Melts and take on the day. Pleasure to be here. It's so great. I did all that? You did all that. Oh, my God. You know, and actually... Wait I, a second. Can you add one more thing to it? I, I left Wait, several things Wait, one more out. thing to it. 
New York Times best-selling author. That's right. Now, 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 with that, my high school English teacher is rolling over in her grave. <laughs> I guarantee you. Yeah. Yes, the poor little dyslexic kid in the back, you know, that, uh, you know, in English, I would, I, all I wanted, actually, I did call my sister the other day. Now, my sister, older sister, she was a year and six months older than I was. She was, when we were growing up, you know, like the four-point student. She studied four or five hours every night, me, 10 minutes I could get everything done. And then I went and go play basketball or something. And so she was National Honor Society. She was picked best uh, female athlete in high school. Uh, she had like everything going and poor little me, I'm coming in behind her. And then she was, I was, she was uh, one semester short of graduating from college. I graduated from college. So I've held that over my sister's head my entire <laughs> life. Like, sis, you don't understand this. I'm the only college graduate in the family, okay? So I called her up the other day. I called her up the other day and I said, sis, and she goes, yes, what? And I says, what I'm gonna tell you will dramatically change our relationship. And there's silence and she comes back, oh, what, did somebody give you an honorary doctorate? And I, and I go, no. Would you believe New York Times best-selling author? And we both just died laughing. It was very funny, but uh, died laughing. But my sister is just, she's wonderful. And you're really close with Pam. Yeah, I'm still, I'm close with all my family. And, and, and what did your mom have to say about that? Was she, was um, mom she the was, most I, I said, mom, you know, here you were, you know, when like I've, I flunked second grade uh, because uh, I was just very immature, uh, combined with being dyslexic. Um, my biggest fears in life were to go to school as a young child, because I was afraid the teacher was gonna make me read in front of the class, and that was traumatic to me. Um, uh, not only perceptually, I just have a hard time picking the words up off the piece of paper, but I got so nervous and so upset with myself because I didn't wanna look bad in front of the rest of the class that I, I didn't want to go to school for that reason. And uh, yeah, it was very traumatic at a young age. I also had gender issues and all these things going through my head. And then one day in fifth grade, I found something. Sports. Sports. That worked out well for you. It, I did okay. <laughs> that, that worked out well for you. And that was a place to, to hide, uh, to prove myself masculinity, all that stuff. So you channeled a lot of your struggles and insecurities into, into sports. Um, I did. Um, it was my coping mechanism. Um, from the dyslexic side, I could you know, go on the football field, take a guy, good student, good reader, clean his clock. Makes you feel pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and even though I had the gender issues, because you, when you, you suffer from gender dysphoria, uh, you suffer from pretty much the day you're born. Um, but back then in the 50s and 60s, um, they didn't even have a name for it. You know, I didn't know, my parents didn't know, so I just kept my mouth shut, you know, sneaking around every once in a while, and I talk about it in the book, you know, as a eight, nine, 10 year old, you know, in our apartment complex with my mom's clothes on, and buzzing around the neighborhood, scared to death you're gonna get caught or something. But uh, 
Yeah, so I had all these issues as a young person. So when you had this great success in, in the Olympics and was hailed as the, the quintessential male athlete, was that fulfilling and a wonderful feeling for you, or were you still struggling? Um, it was a wonderful feeling. I mean, you cannot deny the fact that you go out onto the athletic field. Um, I had been running the decathlon for 12 years of my life. Um, I trained six to eight hours a day, every day, 365 days out of the year, year after year after year, to be the best in the world at something. Um, and you go out there on the toughest stage in the world, the Olympic arena, and under all of that pressure, uh, you conquer the world, physically beat the world. And not only did I win, I broke the world record that day. It was, I, I could not have done it any better. Um, and that is a, a, an extraordinarily satisfying feeling in your soul, um, to conquer the world physically. Um, I remember the next day, uh, getting up, uh, uh, I went into the bathroom, the hotel, and uh, the medal was on the counter, and I picked it up, didn't have a stitch of clothes on, threw the medal on, looked in the mirror, and I go, oh my God, now what do I do? And it was just that reality, and it, it actually, the accomplishment and everything was extraordinarily rewarding. But then, on the other hand, I'm thinking in the back of my head, little Caitlin's thinking in the back of your head, wait a second, you just built up a character that's so big and so masculine, and that's not you, you know? Um, that's not you. Um, and that was the next struggle for, you know, the next, you know, almost 40 years. So that 40... 39 years, yeah. How, how did you begin to decide, let, let's hush that inner voice, let's, let's give it some, some playtime, let's explore that, no, let's put that away. How did that back and forth go for you? It was a coping. Uh, that's the way I coped with it. I had other times, when you deal with something like this, uh, it goes kind of in waves, where sometimes it's worse than others. You know, other times you pretty much got it under control and you're doing pretty good. And life's good and you're just distracted with other things in life, which are wonderful, and they're just wonderful things. Um, but, you know, certain times in my life, it was more difficult, you know? It was always present, but other times more difficult. I don't know if I'm right or wrong, and I have to ask Zachary in the front row, because I don't say anything unless Zachary says it's okay. Um, Zachary from yes. Transparent, yay! Uh, uh, my feeling, yes, Thank you right. for being yes, here. she's one of the producers on Transparent. She works with me on trans issues and knows everything. <laughs> and um, but I've always felt and just from seeing it, it seems like almost there's different intensities of being gender dysphoric. Um, now, I may be wrong, but this is just what I see. Some people can handle it easier than others. Uh, others at the age of, you know, two, three, four, five, you know, hey, mom, I'm, you know, I'm not a boy. I'm a girl or I'm not a girl. I'm a boy. Um, and. It come right out and say it at a very, very young age. Um, maybe it's because of the times, maybe because this, that. Uh, for me, I could, I could cope with it. It was always present, but I got really good at coping with it. Um, and now I say distractions. I had all these other distractions. After the games were over with, um, I thought, oh, my God, where do I go now? 
You know, what do I do to kind of hide? And um, the next day I got offered a job for ABC, um, started working for them. Uh, I was married at the time. We, you know, let's start having some kids. Let's do that. And so I just honestly just dove into work um, for many years. And then having kids, I have a first son a few years later. We had our first one, Bert. Um, then I, I dove into being a parent and, you know, and that's a wonderful thing. And I love doing that. Now, I did call. <laughs> I said one time, I remember this was not too long ago, you always got to watch out what you say. <laughs> um, and I said, you know, I had all these distractions in life, you know. And, of course, my kids come up and say, oh, is that all we were is a distraction? <laughs> and I went, no, 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 no. Okay, I, I worded that wrong. Um, you were not the distraction. It was a distraction from who I am. I love you and adore you. And the, the greatest thing I'll ever do in life is raise your children, you know, to be good, responsible citizens. And... Uh, no, you weren't the distraction. It was a distraction from who I was. And so I dove into all that stuff for all those years. And it just, and then I just found out ways, even in that relationship, uh, to still find ways that uh, I could be authentic to myself. And that's a lot of the book about the sneaking around, the ways, the this, the that, the close calls, you name it. Yeah, you talk about several different experiences. One, when you were in Nashville and, and, and went out to try and see a movie. You talk about a lot of these different moments mm -hmm. that you seem to try to steal almost for yourself. Yes. Oh, and I, do, I did that all on a, literally on a weekly basis, uh, sometimes twice in one day. Girls... How'd you like to have to take off your nail polish, okay? Because you're gonna run out and be Bruce Jenner for two hours, turn around and come back, put the nail polish all the way back on again, okay? <laughs> and do that like two or three times in one day. Okay, that's how bad it is, yes. Um, and so, yeah, I, I struggled with all that kind of stuff, but those were my ways that I could just for a little bit just be free. And it just, and, and I, I constantly thought about, wait a second, who am I? Am I just a cross-dresser and enjoys getting dressed up like that? Um, is it, I do, do I do it for kind of sexual reasons? Is, is, is it a sexual high? Um, is that what I get out of it? I don't know. Is, is it, am I really trans? Is this, could I live as Caitlin 24 hours a day? Um, would it all of a sudden, then all the excitement of it, Maybe I'm leaving a really dull life that Bruce is leading this very dull, mundane life. And the outside world thinks it's wonderful. But I stayed in my house for six years one time um, and just came out to get groceries and go you to work every once in a while. You stayed in your house for six years? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because I never felt like I fit in anywhere. I didn't fit in with the guys, didn't fit in with the girls. I'd go a couple times, play golf maybe. But, uh, and I wasn't motivated at all to work could care less, you know? And I was, at that time, I finally, this is in the 80s, got into therapy for the first time, talked to a doctor. Back then, with no internet, how do you find a therapist? I'm going, oh my God, you know? And I was watching TV one night and they had the Orange County Transgender uh, Clinic. And I went, oh my God, there's a transgender clinic? This is unbelievable. So. 
The next day, I call 911, or call for uh, information. Yeah, call 911. <laughs> it's an emergency. Wait a second. That's how long it's been since we've called information. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you just, I don't even know my kids' cell phone numbers anymore. Isn't that terrible? Yeah, because you just go, boom, because push the number. Yeah, push the button. You never even see the number. Um, and so I called down um, and got information and found out. They gave me the number, and I call. And because I, I was really struggling and I, I had no, you know, I didn't know how to find a therapist that specialized in this issue. And uh, they gave me a name like three or four people, uh, only one woman. And I called the one lady. I said, I don't want to go to a guy. And uh, yeah, I, I went in and saw for the first time uh, Dr. Trudy Hill about 1984-ish, five, 84, probably somewhere right around in there. Um, I went in, I was scared to death. Uh, I knew nothing about her, but I talked to her on the phone and, you know, I kind of told her the situation that we got to be kind of really quiet about this um, and uh, went in and uh, it was she was great. I was with her for the next uh, five years. Yeah. And she's the one who got me on hormones. Um, I got and she knew an electrolysis. I started with the old electrolysis stuff. I started doing things to make me feel a little bit better about myself. And did you continue with that, or did you did you stop that and subside that for a while? Um, I went almost six years till like two thousand or uh, eighty four uh, through nineteen ninety, and damn it, I was going to transition before I was forty. You know, I don't want to be old when I do this. I want to be somewhat young, but I found out old is okay. <laughs> But at the time, that was my thinking. I said, I've got to do this in my 30s. I don't want to do it in my 40s. So um, I thought I was going to do it. And I went, uh, I got to 1989. And after been on hormones for four and a half years, and electrolysis done, had a little work done on my nose once just for a little fun, took the hook out of it. Um, and I had done these things. Uh, the New York Times was going to write an article uh, that I would, because uh, beyond hormones for four and a half years, you know, there are a few changes there. Yes. And, um, uh, and uh, so the, the rumor mill started way back in the 80s about me. And so I heard rumor that the New York Times was going to write an article that I was a crossdresser. And I thought, oh, God, I can't do that. Because at this point, I'm thinking, I can't do it. I, I just can't do it. I'm 39. I'm not supposed to do this before I'm 40. And uh, so I called in my little team, my lawyer, my PR person, and uh, <clears throat> my manager at the time. And uh, one of them was Mr. Alan Nirop, sitting right there, <laughs> who now handles all my PR. And I owe a great debt of gratitude to Alan over the years. He's been a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful friend. We did not talk for 25, 28 years. From that time, he was able to shut that down and then I just didn't need a PR person for years and years and Alan was the first person because I had told him my story back in the 80s wow. and uh, yeah so uh, and I said Alan he immediately I was shocked that he was still at Rogers and Cowan okay? <laughs> I called information Rogers and Cowan they text me up and I go uh, like with a big question mark Alan Nirob? It's like he's, <laughs> do you know that name 
Find out he's now president of Rogers and Cowan. <laughs> he was a little cub PR person at the time. But I said, Alan, come on out. Um, after This is after long, uh, long struggle. It looked like I was going to do this, but I had, I, I had to do it right. I had, if I'm going to come out, and I have no choice but to do it publicly. You, you talk in your book um, about the very beginning. Um, one of the first things you did going to Beverly Hills was looking at a, a tracheal shave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you had brought someone else in with you, and you thought this was a very private conversation that you were having with your physician. And then you get a call from TMZ. Mm -hmm. What was going yeah. through your mind? Um, those were tough times. Um, uh, this is actually at a point where I really didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Um, Chris and I had gone our separate directions. Um, and it was mutual. Um, I, I did not leave to go transition. And I just, you know, we just weren't getting along. And mm -hmm. she knew it and I knew it. And we thought, you know what, instead of, you know, being tough on each other, let's just, I'll tell you what, let's just, you get a house, I'll get a house, we're going to be fine, you know? Let's, so we actually, our whole divorce took one day. I mean, we never, never argued over anything, never nothing. She found the house for me out in Malibu, decorated the house in one day. It was Very an efficient. empty house. It was an empty house at 7 o'clock. She said, you cannot come until tonight. I'll call you. I came in at 10 o'clock that night. Every TV worked. Everything worked. The, ho the groceries were full. I go, how full the service. hell did you do this? <laughs> All these paintings I had never seen before are up. And I'm going, damn, this is good. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so our relationship was, you know, it, it just wasn't working. And she knew it and I knew it. So we, we went our separate directions. And so uh, the rumor mill started bad at that point. Um, the, tab, the tabloids were all over me for years. I mean, every place I went, I would be followed. I would have sometimes four or five cars following me, to, you know, paparazzis, taking pictures everywhere you went. And it's like the world is coming down on top of you. They're just piling on and it's getting worse and worse. You, my kids go through the grocery line and they see this crap on, you know, some magazine, some tabloid magazine of all these rumors. And uh, uh, there was nothing I could do because I couldn't talk to anybody about it. And uh, nobody in the family ever really talked about it. So those were really tough times, you know, really tough times. And then I go in, I think, I, you know what, I just, I've always hated my Adam's apple. You look in the mirror and there it is. Um, and so uh, I found this doctor in Beverly Hills that does a tracheal shave. And I thought, you know what? Nobody in the world will ever know that. I could sneak in, do this, get out. Nobody would know if I have a little bump there or not. It's not like a big deal. I think I can get away with this just to make me feel better. And so uh, I go in, uh, made it under my assistant's name. Um, uh, in Beverly Hills, uh, I go in and it was Rhonda's appointment. I was just kind of following her along. When I got in there, I said, hey, look, that's, this is for all the secrecy. And told him what he wanted to do. And this is what he does. And he goes, oh, no problem. This and that. We talked for a little bit. I left. The next day, I get a phone call from Harvey Levin. And he goes, I heard you were in to see this doctor. 
I guess that the other doctor in the office did Harvey Levin's boyfriend's face and so knew this. Now, I never certainly discussed a tracheal shave with this guy or anything. Nobody but was in that room. And then all of a sudden, Harvey thinks he's got, you know, this is like the big thing. And uh, because all these rumors have been out there, that's the beginning of transition. And, you know, he's calling me on the phone and I'm denying everything. I go, what the hell are you talking about? And then I said to him, I said, Harvey, I said, you print this and it ruins lives. Do you hear me? And he printed it the next day. Uh, Oh, I was furious. And I knew that night that it was coming. And I was in my house and I couldn't sleep. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'm wide awake and I'm pacing up and down my little hall. I live in the house all by myself. I'm pacing back and forth and back and forth. And it was the only time I ever really thought that, you know what? Hey, you know the easy way out of this? Go in the other room. You got a gun. You know, boom. No more pain. No more, you know, nothing. Don't have to worry about Harvey Levin printing stuff like this and, and paparazzis following you everywhere you go. And it was the only time I ever really thought about it. You know, I've never been suicidal. But that was about as low as you can go. And for me, that was a turning point, uh, along with many other things. But that was a turning point. I remember the next day, I was into remote control helicopters at the time. And I'm out on this vacant field out in the middle of nowhere, whip, whip, throwing this little RC helicopter around. And uh, I put it down, and I just went for a long walk across this empty field. And I'm thinking, isn't that the stupidest thing in the world last night? I said, why would you silence your voice? You have the, the potential of having a tremendous voice um, for the community, for on this issue, about yourself. Um, why would you silent? Why don't you stay and fight? Screw these people, you know? Um, and so that was kind of the beginning of and then talking to my children. And my last one I had to get over with was uh, talking to my pastor, because I am a person of faith. And... I, I had to have that conversation with God and said, you know, because I think everybody who has issues in life, well, no matter what they may be, in my case, gender issues, um, you all want, always wonder if you have any faith whatsoever. God, why did you do this to me? Why is this simple thing, why is this gender thing going through my head every day, all the time, 24 hours a day? I never get away from it. And why? Is there a reason for it? Am I doing the right thing? You ask all these questions. I'd sit there in church and listen to my pastor. What is sermon? I didn't even know what my sermon was. Me, in my head, I'm thinking, why, 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 why? So the last person I had to come out was my pastor, who had seen all the tabloid stuff, and sat down, and we talked about faith for like three hours at my house. And um, kind of when it was over, I had somewhat of a revelation and a, and a, and a good, peaceful feeling about myself thinking, you know what, that time, Bruce, you've done a lot in life. You know, you've raised a, raised a family, raised wonderful children, been a great father. You won the games. You've been morally a good person your whole life. You've helped a lot of people. You've done a lot of really good things, you know. But there I was in Malibu all by myself, not knowing what the future was. And I thought to myself at that time, Maybe at this time and place in society, 
that I couldn't do it in the 80s because it wasn't time. This issue wasn't where it is today. For me, now in 2015, um, this issue has come forward. Uh, we had great individuals like Laverne Cox and Janet Mock, and you know we had Orange is the New Black, uh, Transparents coming out, all these types of things are happening. And this issue is really moving forward, making it easier. So what if I, because of my platform and where you are, what if I added my name to that conversation? And it, and it was almost like God saying, this is the reason I put you on this earth right now to do this at this point. And so it was, that was the last hurdle I had to get over. You know, besides, obviously, I was talking to all my children and this and that. Because when you go through something like this, it's not just you transitioning. It's an entire family and friends and relatives, and in my case, the public. Was that process harder or easier than you were expecting it to be when you were telling your family about your plans to transition? Hmm. Some kids harder, some kids easier. <laughs> that is my first one. I, I started off with my son, Brandon, because he's kind of like our little Gandhi in the family. He's a musician. He does, writes his own music. He's just like such a great guy. He's talented at everything he does. Great singer, guitar player, keyboarder, you name it. He does it all. So I figured I'd start with Brandon and his wife, Leah. And everybody knew in the family. I mean, they, you go down the grocery line and there it is all over. And, you know, a couple times I did get caught. Um, I know, but... I was pretty good. I only got caught a couple times in all those years. But anyway, so I bring Brandon down. I said, Brandon, you and Leah want you to come over. And um, we sat down, and I did all the kids one at a time. Um, I thought, I don't want this family ganging up on me. <laughs> so I'm going to do one at a time. And I, so I brought Brandon over first. And we had this long conversation. And, and they all knew because their mother had told them. And, you know, I'd been on all these magazines, and they knew. And so my Brandon says to me, he goes, uh, you know, Dad, I've always been really proud to be your son. He goes, every place I go, um, you know, your name comes up. I go to the airport and hand them my ID, and they say, Brandon Jenner. Oh, is Bruce Jenner your dad? And he goes, I go, yeah. And, oh, Bruce comes by here all the time. We just love him. He's always so nice and this and that. And he said, I've just always been so proud to be your son. And he says, but... I've never been more proud of you than I am right now. That was heavy. Uh, I cried and he cried and it was a great way to kind of start that process off with all my kids. Um, some kids better than others, um, trying to create understanding towards this issue. But when you do something like this, like in Kim's case, <laughs> uh, I had told Kim about two or three years earlier, because Kim's very blunt. And the tabloid stuff was beginning, and you know, Kim goes, okay, what the hell's going on with you? And, mm -hmm. and at some point, you, just, you really kind of just get tired of you know, lying to people on this and that. And I said, she had her own home at the time, so I said, well, I'll come over to your house when nobody's there, and the two of us will sit down and we'll talk about this. So we did. I talked about all the issues um, that I had and this and that. Um, but I never said I was going to transition or anything like that. But then she never brought the subject up for the next two years. And I was always kind of hurt by that. 
asking her two years later, why didn't you ever, I brought that up. And she goes, I just didn't know if I should talk about it. And I said, you know what, I can get that. But when I told her, okay, first of all, I'm, 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 I've cleared all my things, I'm going through this. You know, and the initial <gasps> gasp. Um, and she goes, uh, <laughs> well, what am I going to call you? Because nobody knew my name. What am I going to call you? And I go, uh, well, actually, Caitlin. And she looks at me and she goes, oh, thank God you stayed with the K's. <laughs> I, I went, no, no. And just that look on her face of, ah. Oh. And then she gave me some actually very good advice uh, coming from her. And, and, and in some cases, I've been criticized for this. But she goes, okay, if you're going to do this, you got to rock it. You, you cannot, um, you will be highly photographed any place you go every day, which I am. I get a picture taken by a paparazzi pretty much every day of my life now. Um, except in the old days, back before transition, it was some stupid picture, okay? Today, it's much different. All they want to know is what I'm wearing. <laughs> or who I'm wearing, okay? Um, it's just much easier today. And now, obviously, just take your stupid pictures. And I've got to the point now where I am not going to change my life. Like, not go to my little Starbucks at the end of the street, you know, because I know the paparazzis will be there taking a picture. Um, you know, I'm not going to drive all the way over the hill in the other direction. I said, screw these guys. I've, uh, you know, but just wear something appropriate. That's all. Just, you know, I know. Don't give them, don't give them any ammunition, you know. And then they will. They'll take the worst picture of you. You know, like just at the moment your hair's blowing over to the side and, you know, and you're out there in the, in the you know, the intense sunlight. And I, I don't even recognize myself sometimes in some of those things. But, you know, they, they like putting those, the really ugly shots. So you try to give them as little ammunition. So that was good advice from them. But the rest of the kids uh, slowly came around. And in some cases... Uh, my relationship is much better with my children, and in most cases, in some, we've come a little distant. Um, and I don't know if it's just because of the transition, or I'm like any parent. I raised 10 wonderful, extraordinarily intelligent, hardworking kids, okay? And they've all gone on in life, you know, Kylie being the youngest. And they've all gone on in life, and like any parent, you know, they're not around all the time where I used to carpool them. For 30, 34 years, I carpooled every day for 34 years during carpool season. So, yeah, so, and, and now uh, you're kind of the empty nester. So I always wonder in my head, is it because of the transition or is it because they're just moving on in life and all that because they don't call every day? But then from like my mom, I don't call her every day and she yells at me for that too. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, we get it from both sides. But what was it like the first time she saw Kate? She loved it. Um, she was pretty shocked. Um, um, yeah, my sister was the same way because it was my two sisters. I also have a younger sister who's 16 years younger than I am. And my mom uh, came down uh, for the ESPY Awards. And... Uh, my mom was 88 at the time, 
she turns 91 next month. Wow. Good old mom. And she was the last one for me to tell what I was going to do. She would see all the tabloid stuff and she would ask me, oh my God, my girlfriends keep asking me, you know, what about all this stuff on all these magazines? And, you know, I would always blow it off as saying, you know, mom, it's the tabloids and, you know, (laughs) they just do that stuff. And uh, then finally, uh, I was just getting ready to, I, I told all my kids, I talked to God, I talked to everybody, but I hadn't talked to my mom, okay? And I thought it would be hardest on her to understand the issue, especially at her age and all that kind of stuff. And so one day, I was, I have some off-road vehicles and I'm up on top of a mountain and I'm sitting in the off-road vehicle and I thought, you know what? Time to call mom. And I call her up and I said, you know, mom, you know, I think I'm going to tell you something that I think will bring us closer together. She loves to hear that. She goes, <laughs> oh my God, what? You know, I said, no, you know what? And told her the story about all of the things that, uh, that I had been through about those tabloid things, that there's a lot of truth to them. Um, even at that time, when I first told her, uh, I was pretty sure I was going to transition. Um, but of course, then your mother, it's your mom. Oh my God, what did I do wrong? And I go, oh, here it goes. Okay, mom, you did absolutely nothing wrong. How come I didn't know? Mom, the world didn't know. Why would you know? I was very good at hiding. I was a professional. I went all those years, never got caught once. I'm proud of that one. <laughs> yeah, from walking around in hotels doing this and that, I, I'd never, never, a couple times, close calls, but never got caught, you know, and never got out. And certainly nobody ever got a picture. Um, and so I said, I was, I was very, very good at hiding, and it's not your fault, Mom. This is just kind of how you're born. I don't know anything about this. And, you know, for the next week, it was, you know, talk to her every day saying, Mom, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And she started going online, and, you know, I'm giving her reading material, and get on, and she's like a quick study. And within, within by the time the ESPYs came along, uh, which was, she came down for that. That was the first time she was actually, because she lives in Idaho. And that was the first time that she was going to meet little Caitlin. And uh, uh, she came in the door and she went, oh my God, you look good, girl. Um, and my sister the, the same dress, way. My right? sister's the same way. I think they were very surprised. Yeah. And so, uh, but actually by that time, since the last time I had saw her, I know I don't want to shock the audience, but I had a little face work done. <laughs> and uh, just, oh, just a touch. And, um, and she had never seen, you know, after the FFS and stuff like that. So, um, and but then she became my biggest ally and she still is today. Yeah, she's like been great. What's the difference in how you feel inside? today living as Caitlin Mm -hmm. than the way that you lived for the majority of your life? Uh, Peaceful. Just peaceful. Um, uh, When you go through life and you've got all these secrets inside and everybody has them, 
everybody in the room has secrets. <laughs> yes. And when you go through life and you're constantly holding all these things inside you, uh, it's a tough way to go through life. Um, once you get to the point, and then one of the reasons for the book and the reason I put the title, first, this, first of all, it was the secret of my life. And I go, that's not going to work. I got so <laughs> many secrets. We got to put an S on that little baby. And uh, yeah, I got so many secrets. And so um, that cleansing process, it's, it's the final thing I had to do to kind of cleanse my soul of everything that I had been through and be one, truthful to myself, but also truthful to my family. I want, there's stuff in there that I never told anybody. When I'm sitting there with Buzz and we sat there for two years going over with thousands upon thousands of pages of memoirs and I'm just going, Buzz, I can't believe I'm telling you this. I never told a soul this stuff, you know? And, uh, but I had, to, I had to do that. I, I just had to start a whole new clean slate. So for me today, to go through life, just to wake up in the morning and just be yourself. That is a wonderful feeling. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you did the show, I Am Kate. You've had a wonderful support group Yay, around you. Yay, my girls. There, there was a, a recent quote from Jenny Boylan, who has been part of your team, that said, in many ways, when you come out as trans, to a certain degree, you go through a second adolescence, which is awkward enough when you're 11 and even more awkward when you're 65. How has this second adolescence been for you? Um, a learning process. See, when I came out uh, with Diane Sawyer, and especially two months later when the Vanity Fair thing came out, um, I had never even met another trans person. I couldn't, I, I couldn't out myself. I knew of uh, Renee Richards, uh, who in 1977, I don't know if you remember, came out as trans and she was a tennis player and tried to play on the uh, women's professional tennis circuit and with all sorts of conflict. Um, uh, you know, Christine Jorgensen before that, you had heard of, uh, but that was really about it back then. And um, I had never met anybody else. And so, well, I, at least that I knew, I found out one of the production guys on, the, on uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, who I never knew, found out later after I came out, he's trans. <laughs> Nobody told me, okay? Those trans guys are so stealthy, you know? It's just, they can slip into society. They do it beautifully. Um, and so, uh, I had a lot to learn, and I'm kind of living, especially at the beginning of my little euphoria of just being able to get up in the morning and be yourself and go get a Starbucks, okay? I remember it was traumatic my first time I went to a Starbucks because I'd never in my entire life been out as Caitlin. Um, this was years before. I could never talk because my voice sucks, and it would give you away, you know? And so uh, I actually had the guts. I was in uh, outside, a small town outside of Vegas, and there was a Starbucks there. I thought, you know what, damn it, I'm just gonna go in there and say, grande vanilla latte. <laughs> Caitlin's first words. <laughs> and I went in and actually, there wasn't any, hardly anybody in there. And I went in and actually talked for the first, this is after, I am late 50s, 
early 60s maybe. I go my entire life and never talked to anybody, you know, because I couldn't get myself away. I would just walk around or drive around. And uh, nothing happened. She gave me a grande vanilla latte and I got out of there. <laughs> and I got out and I was so excited. You know, I'm like walking back to my hotel room and I'm walking back to the hotel room thinking, I ordered a grande vanilla latte. <laughs> Even one time, the first time I went to a movie all by myself, I was in Nashville and the same thing. But I couldn't get up the guts to go as Caitlin up to the thing and say whatever movie you were going to. Okay? So um, I had to give a presentation and that day, a speaking engagement. And um, uh, that before the speaking engagement, I ran across the street to get the tickets as Bruce. Came back, had my ticket in hand so I wouldn't have to ask for the ticket, so I wouldn't have to use my voice. And, uh, and then gave the speech and then ran up, got dressed, got all done, walked across, went in, handed him the ticket, went in. The only problem I had that night was when I left. And of course, I couldn't order popcorn or uh, Diet Coke or anything like that because I couldn't talk. I could, I'd give myself, I'm so self-conscious, okay? And then I walk out, but I still gotta use the restroom. And I look as I come out and there had to be like, sorry girls, I'm getting it. 20 girls in line to get into the restroom. <laughs> you feel the pain And I now, said, huh? yes, I can feel the pain. <laughs> and I thought, uh-uh, I'm not going in there. Uh, I just can't stand in line with all these girls. You know, somebody's gonna talk to me and I can't talk. And so I just walked all the way back, having to go bad. And anyway, I got back to the hotel. So, yeah, well, all those little problems. Well, now you're using your voice and your experiences and launching the Caitlyn Jenner Foundation. Now I Foundation. don't care what my voice sounds like. <laughs> it's not a secret anymore. No, it's not a secret. Yeah. Yeah. That. I want to talk about this, this next chapter as you look to your Caitlyn Jenner Foundation mm -hmm. and, and what this is really about for you and why you're looking to, to be and take on such an activist role now yeah. in your life. I, I, well, when I had that conversation with God, and I'm sitting there in my bed all by myself after I'd been with my pastor for three hours, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe this is my mission in life. Maybe this is, what I'm doing is bigger than the games. It's bigger than anything else I've ever done. Nobody dies over the games. Nobody's murdered over the games. It's, it's a game, you know? And I was good at playing that game, that's about it. This issue is about life. It's about humanity. Gender identity issues are not something that has borders, okay? This is part of humanity, it's just a part of society, like there are you know, redheads in society, and there's this, they're, there's tall people, there's short people. And that's why in the beginning of the book, I wanted to use the line that I saw, and it said, biology loves variations, Biology loves differences. Society hates it. And boy, that for me just hit it by uh, Milton Diamond. And that, that, when I saw that, I said, oh my God, that's the quote for the front of my book. So this is such a big issue that um, I, I thought, okay, uh, can I make a difference? Can I add my name to this, or my voice to this conversation? And part of that was being in the position that I'm in, I'm very fortunate, I get it. I'm white, I'm privileged, you know, I've got all these things going for me. But within our community, there's a lot of diversity, okay? 
Um, sometimes I've been very criticized in the community for being white and privileged and all that kind of stuff. I, I get that. I understand that. But the way I look at it is maybe being white and privileged and stuff can get you into places to make a difference to help the other side, the ones that are not. And so uh, out of the many things you do besides political things and all that sort of things that you have to do, because the, the political side of it is important because, you know, those are the people that make the laws and they can be very discriminatory. We've got all sorts of issues in our community uh, as far as equality. Uh, but one of them is money. I mean, of the L, the G, the B, and the T, the T is by far, not even close, the most underfunded of, of all of those letters. And so what can I do? So last year I got involved with Mac and um, we sold the lipstick, um, finally free. Uh, <laughs> and at the end of the year, we were able to raise about 1.3 million just out of the sale of those lipsticks. And uh, we were able to give it away to transitions around the world. That was so much fun. So this year, I wanted to uh, start the foundation, my own personal foundation, because with Mac, it was a combination of, they do the big AIDS fund, mm -hmm. um, a combination of a lot of those organizations, plus there was a few that I wanted to do. Um, but I wanted control over that. And I wanted to be able to build a group for the foundation that we can go out and actually go to corporate America and raise money uh, to do things. Um, uh, I have to, even though this, I don't want it really public, but um, you know, over the last couple of days, uh, the foundation was able to give away about $50,000 to uh, two organizations, $25,000 a piece. I went there personally, handed them the money, and it was it was like playing Santa Claus. I thought, I gotta raise more money, okay? This is like the most fun thing I can do. Um, and so that was what we started with the, with the foundation. I've been able to put a really good group of people. Um, and yeah, next year we're gonna go uh, and, and be more aggressive and um, uh, to raise money, I mean, uh, the T portion is terribly underfunded. You know, I, I see people out there doing great work in, in different organizations, and their entire yearly budget is $10,000. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and I run into that all the time. So that's what the foundation is. That's kind of the uh, philanthropic side of what I'm doing, and the other things are politically and, and there's socially and being out there. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the Social University. We are the Grad School for Life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.